Well, here we are. Episode number one of the Eddie D Live Demo Podcast. This podcast is a series of music demos that I've created over the years of my career. Starting from the 80s all the way up to today, this is the first episode. And I've got some interesting stories to tell and some interesting music to play. All original music written and produced by me, sang by various artists that I worked with over the years. And it kind of tells the story of parts of my life. So it's very personal. And I tell you, it's good. Uh, I'm a guitarist. I've been playing for quite a while. Now, most of my life, I play with a lot of people, and you'll get the stories as we go along, but music is just the integral part of my life. It's like the blood that runs through my veins. And my songs, I have so many of them and so many stories to tell. This podcast is the story of my demos and my music and how I've used them over the years to get what I wanted to get out of the music business. I hope you enjoy. Now, one of my biggest influences throughout my life, especially when it came to music, were my two brothers. Uh, My oldest brother was a very poetic, very dramatic guy. He would read prose and poetry to me and so he was just a very, very eloquent uh, and uh, articulate guy. And, you know, he just uh, had a brilliant mind for writing and different things like that. And uh, he was a, a, a very uh, likable person. He's very popular at the school that he went to. He was a touch. He was a... a <clears throat> quarterback at an all-white school at the time and uh, he was he was just a great person uh, throughout his life and uh, my second oldest brother now my first oldest brother was could have been a musician because like I said he he taught me how to play the guitar but he couldn't sing a note I mean he, he just sang terribly but, he, you know, he could write some great stuff. He was the first person to actually expose me to to writing because uh, he would write poems and songs and everything. And eventually, I would record some of his stuff. My other brother, second to the oldest brother, Garrett, uh, 
uh, he was a natural born stump down singer. He could sing. He was a soul singer. And he, you know, he sang all the time. And uh, <clears throat> by the time he got to high school, he was in a group called the Fourth Movement. And uh, these guys were, you know, I used to come to their rehearsals and uh, they they were stepping like the Temptations. They could sing everybody's Del Phonics, Blue Magic, all the groups of the 70s and the 60s. They had it, man. They were, they were very exciting to watch. And they were very great singers. They, they were very talented. And I admired them, you know, because I was a little brother. And I was looking up and seeing them do all this stuff. And uh, my brother told me about one night they sang at this club called the Club Highlanders in St. Louis. It was like the hottest club. <clears throat> and, uh, excuse me. They were opening for the Shylights. And uh, the Shylights manager told them, you know, okay, you guys, you know, we want to put you on the show. We know you're good, but one thing we don't want you to do is sing any of our material. We don't, the Shylights don't want you to sing any of their songs. And at that time, you know, Shylights had a lot of stuff out Old Girl, Power to the People. They had a lot of hits out. But they had that routine. They agreed, you know, we're not going to do it. So the night of the show came, the club was packed. And um, they got up on the stage. My brothers now got up there. And they gave a great show. I mean, it was really good. People loved it. You know, they were only supposed to do like a 45-minute set. They sang all their songs, didn't do any of the Shy Lights material at all. They just did what they were supposed to do with the band, and bam, hit. Guy paid them, and the Shy Lights weren't there. You know, they were late getting there. And so the guy said, hey, man, you all can't leave now, man. Uh, the Shy Lights, we don't know if they're going to show or not. We haven't heard from them, and we need you guys to go on and do some more stuff. And so they were like, man, we did our show. He said, we don't care. He said, you know, you gotta, you all gotta do some more stuff. And uh, don't do the same show you just did because the people just saw it. So they said, okay, man. So they went and they said, okay, we're gonna do one of the Shylight songs. And then we're gonna move into some more stuff. And he said, as soon as they start singing the Shylights material, the Shylights walked in and heard it, and they were pissed. They were like, okay. So they kind of blackballed them after that. You know, they were like really upset because they, they were singing their material that they had to sing that night, but they said they didn't know that they were going to when they were going to show up, so they figured maybe we should do some of their songs. They might not even show. And they just happened to walk in in the middle of of their song. So, you know, he was always telling me about the business. And, you know, St. Louis is a real funny market. And 
you know, it, it was just a difficult place to come up in musically. And by the time his group got to the point where they were, you know, really doing a lot of professional stuff, my musical ability had uh, developed to the point where, you know, I had a nice band and we could support them and we could uh, do shows with them. So uh, that was what my brother always tried to develop me to do, and that was to be able to back their singing group one day. When I got of age and I got with some nice musicians, you know, uh, we, we put a good band together. We had been together for a couple of years. We was practicing every day. And we finally got a chance to start doing shows with my brother. And so it's, you know, my brother, uh, Garrett, um, they, they were great guys, you know, and I did a lot of recordings with them. And I'm going to let you hear one of the recordings that I did with my brother in 1985. This is Garrett, and he was singing a song that I wrote for him called Please Don't Walk Away. Uh, it's a tearjerker. So this is dedicated to my brother who passed last uh Father's Day, uh, Garrett Darris, great singer. Check this demo out.
a personal experience with the artist, songs, or uh, just a roadmap to the secrets and the journey of their lives. And uh, <clears throat> to be able to create music and songs, it's a great blessing. Uh, it starts out at least with me, it started out. It's just kind of a fun thing because I already spent years playing the guitar as a kid coming up. When I got about 15 years old, uh, I started getting interested in the opposite sex. I met a girl, and uh, well, we moved out of this particular house. And uh, this other family moved in. And since I was so used to uh, being in that particular neighborhood on the north side of St. Louis, I was just like, you know, still coming back visiting. And I saw this girl that moved into the house that we uh, moved out of. And she was just beautiful to me. Her name was Rosemary Hoffman. Never will forget her. She's about 15. I think I was like 16. Or she may have been 14. I don't know. We were, you know, we were like maybe one or two years apart because I was a freshman. I think she was in eighth grade. I don't quite remember, but man, I just dug her. I was crazy about her. And uh, I had crushes on girls before, but we were getting up. I was getting up to the age where, you know, I really wanted to, like, have a girlfriend, you know. And uh, these were the days of, like, the Jackson 5 when they were coming up. And, uh, you know, we used to listen to the Jackson 5 every one night. Yeah, her mother used to work nights, so she would come. She would come in at about eleven o'clock, and uh, so after school, I would go over to her her house, which used to be my house. 
and uh, this long flight of stairs leading to the house, and um, she stayed up on the second floor. And man, I spent a many a day just sitting with her on those steps after school, just kissing and just enjoying each other's body, exploring each other's bodies and stuff, you know, experimenting and everything. And it was, she was a beautiful chick. She had brown eyes and, you know, I was just very, very secure with her. And uh, one night the Jackson 5 was on, uh, I guess it was the Flip Wilson show. And her mother had, like, gave strict rules. I don't want nobody in this house when I'm gone, you know. So, I mean, her big sister kind of liked me, so it was her big sister and her. And she let me come upstairs, and we watched that together. We just had fun, man. It was just a good time. It was a good time to be a kid. And so <clears throat> we started exploring sex on such a deep level, man, that we got to the point where it was just like no other alternative but to actually have the act of intercourse. And man, my mother had been like browbeating me. Hey, don't you bring no babies home. I don't want you to get nobody pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dang, you know. I was kind of scared too. You know, I didn't know. I had never really taken my clothes off in front of a woman. So I was kind of scared to uh, go all the way, but I think she had maybe had a little bit more experience than I had. So I was just kind of avoiding it. You know, I would do everything except for actual intercourse with her. She was like, hey, man, you know, I I really like you. I want to do this. And I was like, well, I don't want to get you pregnant. You know, she was like, man, you better... Be a man, you know. So one day, her sister plotted with her, and it was like, okay, call Edmund. I was, I was at my house, my father's house at the time. She called me and said, "Hey, I think we ought to skip school today, and uh, I think we ought to. Uh, I'm gonna come out there, and I live quite a bit away from the house." And she lived in, but she said, we're going to come out there, me and my friend, and we're going to pick you up, and we're going to walk back to my house, and we're just going to spend the day together. And I was like, cool. I mean, I didn't normally play hooky, but she wanted to do it. I was like, cool. So <clears throat> she came, picked me up. We left, told her where I live. She came by there. And we walked, man, for about an hour and a half. Stopped, got something to eat, walked and stuff, had fun. Acting silly, just being kids, man. And got to the house. And she was like, come on upstairs. And I was like, okay. So I came upstairs. Come on in this room. And she came. Uh, she took me to a room that my brother used to have. It was his room. And it was like, a, it was painted yellow. And uh, her sister was in the other room. She was like, shut the door. Shut the door. And uh, she 
took her clothes off. And I was like, all right, now take your clothes off. And I was like, oh, man, could do it. So she put her clothes back on. And uh, I still loved, you know, I still wanted to be with her. And she started kind of distancing herself from me, man. It really kind of messed my head up. She made up an excuse for me to uh, to break up with her. She got mad at me. She she had never been mad at me before. She got mad at me, and she like made up this reason to have argument. And I'm begging her like, "What did I do?" And blah blah. She said, "You did something to my little brother Lump, you know." And that was his nickname, man. She made a reason for me to, like, stop coming over there, man. And I was just, like, crushed, dude. I was crushed. And I said all that to say this. Okay, so I've been, you know, kind of, since I was a little, like, four or five-year-old kid, Playing around with the guitar, I pick it up, I put it down, break the strings. There's always a guitar around the house. My oldest brother, Tyrone, had one, and then he passed it down to my other brother, Garrett. Then they passed it to me, and I was the one that just kind of stuck with it, you know, five years old, playing around with it. Seven, I would play around with it, break the strings, another one would come. About 10 years old, I had one, and Played it a little bit more, learned how to kind of tune it up and play it a little bit. Then I would get distracted for a few years. And <clears throat> then I, uh, when this happened, my heart like was just tore up. I mean, she wouldn't even talk to me no more. I mean, I was sitting outside uh, looking up at her window hoping she might come out and stuff like that, man. I went through a lot of changes over her until I finally realized that, you know, I mean, I I didn't beg her back, but I was just from a distance really, like, hurt. So I just went home and got in my room and started listening to a lot of music, like, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, if you don't know me by now. And the real deep love songs, I was listening to them, man. I started picking my guitar up and just playing around with it. And, you know, just getting into music to feel that pain, man, up that was that, that hole that was in my heart. And that's really how I became a serious musician from being brokenhearted by this girl that I thought I never would get over. And after I picked the guitar up and started playing it at that point, I never put it down again. What you feel?
Well, this is a very unique artist that I met at a nightclub one night, and she had a lot of musical background. Her name is Missy the Rainbow, and we started working together. I pulled her out of a group and started producing her, and this is one of the songs that we came up with. It's a neo-soul song called Mellow.
So, back when I first started, my brother Tyrone taught me this lick. He was getting pretty good on the guitar. And right at the point where he started really getting good at it, he just, you know, got into football. He was an athlete. So he handed the guitar down to me. This is the first, one of the first things he taught me. At the same time, I was listening to a lot of British invasion stuff by the Birds, the Beatles, 
Rolling Stones, and they, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, everybody had a guitar. Every time you looked at TV, it was some guys playing guitar, and it, and it just, you know, got in my, got into me, and I would just do stuff like this. <laughs> My brothers and sisters played, and they was into the Motown sound, and you know, into the Johnny Taylor, and James Brown, Solomon Burke. So I picked up those influences too, and they would do stuff like this. You and my heart, baby. 
finger, girl. To let you know I love you so. A thousand stars are shining on your eyes. And for you and you, I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord. So that's how I would just come up with a song. Thank you. 
So when my daughter had my grandson, I called her, you know, and I told her, I said, well, I'm really glad for you. What are you gonna name the baby? And she said, I'm gonna name him Sire. So I went inside a baby, and I was inspired to write at His Majesty's behest. This is a tribute to my grandson. With me, featured on lead guitar, I played all the instruments at His Majesty.
I also had, like I said, my oldest brother, Tyrone. Uh, he was a great writer, and he was a good uh, manager. He used to give parties and stuff like that. And uh, I remember when my band first started out back in, like, 74, we were playing around. We were... We're doing stuff, you know, like Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers. And uh, we were just doing a lot of hard stuff, a lot of Hendrix. We were doing a lot of heavy rock and Hendrix, which was which was unusual for, you know, a black band. But that's what we, you know, that's what we like. That's what I was kind of groomed for. You know, Ernie Isley at that time was doing a lot of stuff uh, with Summer Breeze and... You know, you had a, you had uh, Eddie Hazel with the Funkadelic, and he was doing a lot of stuff, man. And uh, you know, Black Jimi Hendrix had just died like three years previous to that, and I didn't really get turned on to Jimi Hendrix until uh, after he was already gone. I, I you know, I, I slightly remember hearing uh, Hendrix in like the back of my mind but I didn't actually know who it was because he wasn't heavily promoted to black people in the 60s and the late 60s you know we were listening to James Brown and and we was and I was getting like I said a lot of the British influence but Hendrix just was not somebody that was heavily promoted in the black community and we had uh, heard Buddy Miles, you know, we heard Buddy Miles, he played with uh, um, Wilson Pickett, and he had done that circuit, but that was after Hendrix had died, you know, he redid uh, them changes. But the f- first time I heard Jimi Hendrix, uh, I think it was at my birth. I think it was my 16th birthday party. My brothers, you know, uh, got together and they were like, you know what, man? Uh, <clears throat> we need to introduce Edmund to uh, marijuana because uh, he jamming that guitar, man. And uh, we need to, you know, we got to expose him to Hendrix, man. Let him hear Baggett Brain. And you got to let him hear some Hendrix. So, you know, see where he'll go with it. Got to open him up, and I was like determined not to, you know, get off into the drug thing because my father, you know, warned me about being a musician and you know getting high. You know, so I didn't really want to go that route. So we were all at the at his house, and uh, I remember he was playing "Who Knows," you know, by Jimi Hendrix, and I was like listening to it, and it was interesting. And so uh, he gave me a beer. He's like, man, you know, a couple of other guys were rolling up joints. He gave me a beer. He was like, yeah, man, uh, um, drink this beer. So I figured a beer, you know, I, I did. I wasn't even a drinker at the time, but I just drank the beer down. Yeah, yeah, man, drink another beer, man. I drank another beer. And then he handed me a joint. 
I'm like, no, nah, man. He said, no, nah, man, just go ahead and hit it. Hit it a couple of times. It'll be all right. So he, I hit it. And, man, next thing you know, I'm listening to Hendrix. And he jamming, who knows, and that bass line is bouncing off the walls, man. It's like something I had never really heard before. You know, it really blew my mind. I never forgot the experience of hearing that, you know, uh, that day. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I'll make a long story short. Me and drummer Mike Howard and Cedric, his brother, uh, and we got a bass player eventually, but at first it was just the three of us. We started doing little shows in the neighborhood and just started jamming around the U-City area in the West End of St. Louis. And uh, we would just rehearse every day. We'd play anywhere we could, man. We started getting really, really good. My oldest brother, Tyrone, said, hey, man, uh, he was living in East St. Louis at the time. He was like, man, come on over to Centerville, man. We're gonna we're giving a party over here, and we want you guys to play at uh, at this little thing that we're giving at the community center. So we set up and everything and went over there. And, you know, Tyrone <laughs> got us up on the stage. We jammed. We jammed with Hendrix and stuff, and it's a bunch of little young kids and all kinds of, you know, community kids there. We were looking at these kids were looking at us like, what are they playing? You know, we were playing this Hendrix and stuff they had never really heard before, but they dug it. Everybody dug it, and I was like, well, Tyrone was like the Don King of the family. He was always getting us in in unusual situations. So uh, he's as as we developed, you know, musically and everything, uh, we start. I I, I I got my little studio and we start putting music together, and uh, I just uh, really had a good time uh, working with my two brothers. It's just like a great thing, and I got a lot of music that I did with them. But I'm just gonna let you hear one of the songs that we did together. Uh, at the time, you know, I had just got through doing this gig with George Clinton in St. Louis, and it was really, 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 we did a good show. It was, on, it was televised and everything, and, you know, and that was one of my dreams had been to play with George. Because I was always influenced by Eddie Hazel and Mike Hampton. It was two great guitar players, you know, Ernie Isley as well. So to to finally get to play with George Clinton was an experience to me. And uh, so, you know, I was heavily touched and inspired by that. So after I got through doing the gig, I sat down and I wrote this tune that uh, I was going to give to George, but I decided to keep it myself. All demos are not to be heard by artists. 
And sometimes people would take your material. Not that I thought George would take it. He was just at the point in his career where he really wasn't actually recording anymore. He was doing a lot of touring. So this is a tune that the first voice that you will hear on this tune will be my oldest brother, Tyrone. And the name of this tune is Get Your Booty on the Dance Floor. My brother Garrett is doing the lead singing on this. And then we got Missy and the Redbone. Missy the Redbone doing background. And I'm doing some backgrounds. But this song is special with me because both of my brothers have passed. They both passed this year. So I got a lot of material that they've done. This is one of the songs that we had the pleasure of doing together. I produced the track, and I played guitar on the track, and I got them to do the vocals. And the name of the song is Get Your Booty on the Dance Floor. And I think you're going to like it. So check this out. This is... Tyrone, Garrett, my two brothers, and Missy the Red Bone, and myself on Get Your Booty on the Dance Floor, so I can dog your booty some more. And the first, first voice you hear will be Tyrone, my oldest brother. God rest his soul. God rest the soul of my other brother. These are my two late brothers, Tyrone and Garrett, featured on this song. Enjoy.
Sing around one day with nothing to do. I had lots of ideas in my mind, but what could I do? I wanted to make my own.
did. Now I'm using the Anchor Podcast app. I downloaded the Anchor Podcast app. Now I'm making my way on the podcast stations everywhere. And I'm so proud that I downloaded the Anchor Podcast app. Now when I have a creative idea, I just pull out my Anchor Podcast app and I express myself in the most intimate ways. I downloaded the Anchor Podcast app. Oh boy. I downloaded the Anchor Podcast app. Oh boy. Can I play for you now? used to like a group, the groups back in the 60s, like the Turtles and the Mamas and the Papas in the Fifth Dimension, and uh, these groups had great harmonies, these groups were very entertaining, these groups had very interesting songs. They made you feel good. You know, songs like Monday, Monday. Songs like... Uh, um, 
So happy together. Jefferson Starship. Those groups. I still love the way they would blend the female voices with the male voices. And they would come up with a very interesting blend. Also, I used to like groups like the Classic Four and Association. You know, the ba 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 that stuff back in the 60s when I was coming up as a kid. I just love that music, man. And so um, I was inspired to write a song that was, was kind of a group goofy song, but it was a fun song. And uh, this song is called It's a Curious Thing When Love is Misunderstood. Kind of like a turtle's vibe, but check it out. My brother Garrett sang it, and I made this demo. I sent it out to L.A. back in the 80s. Nobody wanted the song. But, you know, it was like with me, with my songs and my music. It didn't matter if I got picked up or not. I really wanted to deal at the time because I was young, and, you know, I wanted to get out of the job that I was on. But at the same time, I enjoyed making the music, and I knew that, once I wrote a song and put it in my publishing catalog, it was always an opportunity to make money off of it. I just had to wait for the right time and the right situation to occur. People always need songs. They always need demos. So I saved all my demos and I saved all my songs. Now, story behind this song. This song is about a guy, a guy was me at the time when I was a youngster. And uh, I was walking through the plant one day and I noticed this girl and she was gorgeous. She was thick. She was beautiful. There was just something about her. That made me say, wow, I gotta get to know her. I got to get to know her. I've got to hook up with her. And, you know, at that time, I was married to my first wife. And so, it wasn't cool for me to have these feelings, but, you can't always control your feelings, whether you're male or female. Just because you get married doesn't mean you're not going to be attracted to somebody. So this girl was kind of a fantasy to me. And so I used to figure out ways to, to talk to her. Her name was Terry. I was able to strike up a conversation with her one day. And she was receptive. I was like, wow. But before I actually got to talk to her and begin a relationship with her, I sat down and wrote this song with her in mind. And the lyrics were about a guy it's like a secret admirer of a female 
but he just can't seem to find a way to let her know that he's, you know, interested in getting to know her and everything. And these feelings are building up in her. And the girl has seen him as well. But she doesn't want to make the first move. So these are the different things that are going on in in their minds and and in their daily lives, you know. They see each other and they want to interact, but they think that the other person isn't interested at all. So I wrote this song called It's a Curious Thing When Love is Misunderstood. The lyrics. He sends her red roses every day. Knowing she'll reject them anyway. Love has really taught that man to pray. It's a curious thing when love is misunderstood. So. My brother saying it. This is a rough demo. I just thought that I should put one of these songs on so that you can hear a song in a very rough stage. The mix on it is not that great, but it's listenable and it's interesting. And it's in my early, early stage of songwriting. I think I wrote this like in 1985, 86. So check it out. It's a curious thing when love is misunderstood. This chick comes up a lot in those songs that I wrote back in those days. So the next time I uh, present a song, I'll uh, I'll take you back to this reference because I wrote about two or three songs about her. And eventually... Gave her the songs. I didn't tell them they were about her, but it's an interesting story behind her. So, this song, this story will continue. Here's the song. Curious Thing When Love Is Misunderstood. Sang by Garrett. Music by me. Love is inspired many a songwriter, including myself. And when I met the woman of my life, I was stunned. And she's been a beautiful person down through the years. She is uh, just very compatible with me and just a complete sweetheart. So I wrote this song for her. And I have a lot of faith in God. So this song is inspired by God about a man's feelings for his woman and how deep and strong it can be. Because many times a song 
can have a dual understanding or a dual interpretation. So the song is how I feel about her. And it's also how I feel about God. I think love is the highest, most supreme feeling that you can have towards anybody. And so I wrote this song for Michelle Ward, The Love of My Life. It's called God Bless Your Name. This is the song that I wrote for Michelle, The Love of My Life, called God Bless Your Name.
Well, we've come to the end of episode number one. As you can see, I have a lot of stories to tell, a lot of music to offer, and I take my time in my podcast doing it. So this is long play stuff, but it's great. And I tell you, I have fun doing it, and every episode will be a exploration of some great music and some great ideas and some great knowledge for all you guys out there that are interested in the music business maybe you can pick up some tips and all you musicians can maybe be challenged by some of the stuff that you hear you can hear my mistakes you can hear my high points you can hear the good things the bad things about my music I'm the type of guy I just like to put it out, and I just let the people decide. So people usually give me a lot of positivity about my music. I'm not arrogant about it, but I try to be the best that I could be. I'm going to give this closing song. It's called 1975. That's the year I graduated from high school. This song takes me back to the era of some of the best times, the best days of my life as a young musician, college student, and just a young guy just being opened up to the world. When I went off to college and met all the women that I've loved over the years, great experiences that I've been blessed to have. This song is called 1975.
voice of Eddie D signing off to the next episode. Remember, download that Anchor app and get your podcast together. All you guys out there that want a podcast, download that Anchor app. And I thank all my right, my uh, singers and musicians that I've worked with over the years. Make this podcast great. Missy the Red Dog. The late great Garrett Darris. The late great Tyrone Darris. Couldn't have done it without him. Thank you guys. I'll see you guys next time.